It was a trade frenzy this week, and we had a little bit of an altercation. We'll talk about all this and more on the Indie Power Report podcast. We're back again, episode number 127 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. We got a new team's, I guess, lineup of coaches. I guess you'd call that a coaching staff, as the words eluded me right there for a moment. And we also got uh, some more fun out of Tri-City, and we also have a lot of trades, and then we also got baseball that we can talk about this week, as, uh, well, we finally are done with uh, our midseason recaps. Yeah, now we're back to actual actual baseball this week. Quite a bit to talk about. Not a not a slow week by any means. So very excited to break it down. A lot of action in, in all three of the leagues and, well, an altercation as well. Yep, so I guess we can uh, get started into that. The Lake Country news first, just because I want to make it a little bit more seamless of a transition into Frontier League talk, but... We'll be fairly quick about it because I think we're on the same page uh, about this coaching staff in particular. Uh, So Lake Country announced their coaching staff on, I want to say it was Wednesday night, and they named Jim Bennett as their manager, former manager of the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks, won manager of the year in 2019, so uh, certainly a great decision there. He's also won four straight Australian Baseball League titles as the pitching coach and uh, bench coach of, I believe it was the Brisbane Bandits, is what was named on the website. Also added to the staff is Dave Nielsen, who will be the bench coach slash hitting coach for the team, and Paul Wagner. Paul Wagner, uh, a former major leaguer, actually came about one out away from throwing a no-hitter in the major league, so that's a, a cool little bit of trivia for him. As far as Dave Nielsen, also a former major leaguer, also was an all-star in the major leagues, and uh, he is also on that uh, Brisbane Bandits coaching staff of four straight ABL titles, although I, from the way the press release, or I shouldn't say press release, the little bios on the website about uh, the coaching staff was laid out, it made it sound like Dave Nielsen was the manager on those teams, while uh, Jim Bennett was clearly listed as the pitching coach on those teams. So it's a bit surprising to me that you'd switch up that dynamic here, I suppose, in the sense of Bennett's managing this league before Nelson has, and that's why you do that. But still, it's a little bit interesting that they go with that kind of dynamic. But, hey, it's still a very nice coaching staff either way. I think that's the main reason. It's just because Jim Bennett is so experienced in the American Association, has had so many, had a lot of success uh, in this league as well. So I'm sure they'll both be very, very involved as far as building the roster and, and coaching slash managing the team, of course. But no, no matter which way you slice it, for, for an expansion team that's uh, that's coming in to the league, a brand new league for them next year, uh, with a guy like Jim Bennett at the helm is certainly uh, is certainly a big advantage. A guy who's who's been there, done that. He had a ton of success with but with Fargo Moorhead. Certainly a great hire uh, for Lake Country. I'm sure them, their fans uh, can be very can be very pleased with it. And I, I would I would expect a competitive roster to to be fielded for this team right away. Yeah, I think that's pretty fair to say. I think. Uh, 
we saw what Jim Bennett was able to do with the Red Hawks in 2019. He put out a very, very strong team that had a, a solid turnaround on, on their season there. And it was kind of surprising when he was let go. It was actually very surprising to see a manager of the year uh, let go in indie ball like that, uh, at least from everything that was read. It seemed like the team kind of parted ways with him and not him parting ways with the team. So we'll make of that what you will. But either way, you are right. Well, it's just a very strong coaching staff. It's a dude that knows what he's doing. And it'll be interesting to see what kind of a team he puts together in the sense of, is it going to be more pitching heavy? Is it going to be more uh, batter heavy? What kind of baseball are they going to play? That's what's really going to be the interesting part here. I think it's safe to say he's going to try and get his son, who's currently playing for, I want to say, the Chicago Dogs. It could be King County, but I'm pretty certain it's the Chicago Dogs onto uh, his team. And if not, that's going to be a really fun series to watch when uh, he's managing against his son, uh, who's going to be trying to beat his dad on the field there. So that'll be a fun series if it doesn't wind up happening, but I think we're going to get a uh, kind of Butch and Casey Hobson type of situation here. And... Quite frankly, I'm looking quite forward to that. I'm I'm almost rooting for them to be on opposite teams. Honestly, I think that that would make for a more uh, a more interesting headline, a more interesting story, more interesting series. But yeah, I think I think it'd be pretty more most likely. You could probably see his son uh, on Lake Country next year. But you know, I, I think just for just for the sake of the story and. Uh, for it to be a lot more interesting, I'm almost kind of rooting uh, for for them to be on separate teams. So you set up that drama if it uh, if it were to happen. But you know, a man can dream. Uh, he'll probably end up on Lake Country next year. But what if he didn't? I guess we'll have to see. Yeah, I, that's exactly where I'm at it. On it, it would be a very fun series, and it would be a lot more interesting to watch. But uh, like I said, we'll see where that goes. But now we kind of get to the that headline, I guess, of the week, which is uh, on Friday night, Bobby Jones and Pete Incogvillia kind of got into a, a little bit of a spat. Uh, essentially what happened was Pete accused Bobby of stealing signs because he was standing outside of the third base uh, coach box, and then he would be calling things out to hitters, and he assumed that because he called similar things, and he kind of picked up that, okay, when he yells, like, 27 it, there's a breaking pitch thrown and he keeps yelling that every time there's a breaking pitch thrown so it kind of caught on that Bobby was trying to steal science now I'm not sure if this was happening I wasn't watching that game in particular because you know there's about 16 other independent league games going on at any other given time so I wasn't watching that and obviously I can't comment on that all too much I'm only going off of what's been reported but that said Bobby has a a little bit of a rep. He's a very passionate manager. Pete's the same way. None of this surprises me in the least bit. Also, the fact that they then went out and almost got into a fight to the point where their players had to hold them back in the eighth inning of that game before they were both ejected does not surprise me in the least bit. And also, they both earned a two-game but non-consecutive game suspension. So they were suspended for a Sunday night's game while the league looked over on Saturday and then ruled that they were both suspended. So they were gone for last Sunday's game, and uh, they are also gone for tonight, Friday's game, when the two teams play again in Tri-City. So it's a very interesting uh, situation to be in. 
I honestly, I don't know if Bobby was stealing signs. I will say on Saturday night, he did not move from the coach's box. It seemed like things had calmed down. I think we all kind of expected for something to happen after you have that kind of big flare up, but nothing really did. So who really knows what happened? But yeah. it definitely does add drama. And I will say, I think there is a bit of a Tri-City and Sussex County rivalry really forming here, which is really, really nice to see. Yeah, I think this is this altercation was a pretty, pretty good example of it was kind of just between it was really just between the managers and the teams, I guess, themselves uh, didn't really. I, they, didn't, they didn't really get into it too much, which I guess was interesting because I guess if uh, or if Incavilia is accusing Jones of uh, of stealing signs, it's a little bit interesting to me that I guess more players and whatnot on, on Tri City didn't I guess kind of get riled up with their manager. Not to say that they would go like you know. Uh, yeah, I try and fight not, somebody not, not over to it. Say, yeah, no, that's not what I'm saying. But at least yeah. being like, at least being like, yeah, they're stealing signs. But I mean, unless Pete and Cavillia just saw something on his own, uh, which kind of looks like what happened here. Uh, but I, I think that's the. Uh, it, it, it's very interesting in that dynamic, and of course the fact that they literally got in each other's faces and got suspended for two games. That's, uh, that is something you don't see happen very often. I think the, the last time you could remember something like that was back in, um, I believe it was 2019 when the, the pirate, when Amir Garrett charged the pirates dugout. Uh, and, uh, and then at that point, like David Bell, the, the Reds manager who was already ejected earlier in the game, like came out of the dugout and shoved Clint Hurdle, who was managing the Pirates at the time. Yeah, it, it, it's interesting to me because when I look at when I when I was looking at some articles about about what Incavilia said about it, it, it's just so funny. He's like, he said, "It is what it is. He got two. I got two. It's fine. Move on." I'm like, well, well, Pete. I mean, it was. It's a really interesting story. Uh, and I, I don't think he thinks it's a very big deal. Yeah. Um, I mean, this stuff, this kind of stuff has happened with Incavilia before, maybe not yeah. him getting in the face of an opposing manager, but I mean, we all remember he was suspended for, uh, for, for game five of the Atlantic, the winner take all game of the Atlantic league championship series in 2019, uh, after, after getting ejected the night before. This is not the first time he's been in trouble like that. So obviously, the first time this has happened in a uh, in the Frontier League as opposed to the Atlantic League, but uh, quite quite a wild story, though. Though nonetheless, yeah, definitely the case. And I mean, when you go through, like, you made a good point about some of the quotes and in, in the few articles, which I will say they're all from. Uh, let me make sure I get the I get the source right on it because I want to credit the the reporting on it because it, it was just interesting when you read some of the quotes here and it, how Pete goes on and on and on about how big of a deal it was and then after the suspension got handed out, eh, it is what it is. Everybody got two. Back to your quarters. It's fine. Yeah, nothing's wrong here. It's fine. Move on. Yeah, it's just it's really funny to me how it's like it was a big deal. Now it's not a big deal. Quite quite the fascinating story, um, and. I guess you almost wonder 
I mean, Sussex County has not been playing very good baseball of late. You wonder if that uh, that made that kind of escalated things a little bit. I, I guess you. Yeah. I guess you never really know. But, yeah, I, I uh, might be terribly shocked if that's it too, because the baseball they were playing, it wasn't like you were losing tight competitive games for the most part. Going into that game in particular, they weren't playing very good ball at all. They just weren't that competitive, like so. I, I could definitely see that being part of it. I'm not sure if it would be all of it, but it would be part of it. But yeah, rep- the reporter's name was uh, Mark Singlis. I want to say that's how it's pronounced, but I probably messed that up. And then again, the show and pronunciations, that's been long since established. Uh, then it, he's from the Times Union, I believe. Albany Times Union. But yeah, either way, yeah. links are in the show notes. As always. Yeah. And uh, I guess we'll, we'll wrap up the, the whole discussion now and we'll move on to actual baseball talk uh so that way we don't uh, get caught on time it's interesting to see and i'm really curious to watch this series like this now this series has become a lot more interesting to me partially because you mentioned they're not playing good baseball which they're not miners are on an eight game losing streak as we record this that could change tonight it could be nine games when you're listening to this it's really one or the other because of that losing streak i think it's becoming a lot more interesting not only is this whole series a lot more important for the Myers because you have the wild things that are a game and a half back. You have Tri-City that has a hot boulders team coming in on them. And all of a sudden, this series means a lot. It's a rivalry series now, without a doubt. And it just is a... Obviously, there's some passion still there. So I'm very curious to see how these next three games wind up playing out this weekend. It's going to be a passionate. It's going to be a really exciting. Uh, it's going to mean a really exciting series for sure. But I mean, listen, Sus- Sussex County needs to get back. Um, they, they they need to get back playing good baseball again. The fact that I mean, as we record this, their division lead that was once pretty comfortable has shrunk to just a game and a half. So. While Tri-City still has a two-game lead up in the Atlantic Division, unfortunately, when Tri-City is looking to still, I mean, they've won seven of their last ten. They're looking to 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 try and expand their lead. They're getting hot at the same time as New York's getting hot, which I guess you could look at that from from a vice versa angle. Uh, and New York saying, "Come on, we we've won four in a row, eight of our last ten, and we haven't made up any ground." Uh, but definitely, it's a very very, very fascinating series, and one that I think is going to have that's definitely going to have big playoff ramifications, and definitely one we could talk about uh, next week. Oh, absolutely! It's going to be something to really watch for there, and also I think as we start to really get down the wire, the Frontier League is going to be one of the more interesting leagues to talk about because as we're going to talk about in a little bit, the American Association, really the North Division, is pretty well set at this point. Winnipeg has the potential to do something because they do have a lot of home games left. And we'll talk all about the Winnipeg uh, situation in, in that section too. But they could do something, although it would take a real, and I don't get to use this word often, but I'm going to, Herculean effort for them to get back into a playoff position. But it doesn't seem likely at this point. In the South Division, it's a little bit more interesting, but it's pretty clear cut which four teams are going to be fighting to the end. And it's really three teams for two spots because Kansas City's ran away with that division. But the Frontier League is still very, very much in flux in about, I'd say, three divisions of the four in total. There's, I mean, it's chaotic. You you look at the Central Division, the Central Division with Schaumburg 
leading that division by four games over Lake Erie. That's the biggest lead in the entire league. Yeah. Uh, and then otherwise you have two games, one and a half and one. Yeah. I mean, it's you're setting up for a great, great stretch down the stretch for the playoffs. I mean, especially when only the division winner makes it. I mean, you're you're getting some pretty uh, you're going to get some pretty good baseball here in the next few weeks. Oh, absolutely. And again, it just breaks my heart that Southern Illinois is probably going to finish third in their division with the fourth best record in the league. Yeah. Which, how fair is that? Yeah. Like, you know, like I understand why the divisional format for this year is the way it is. I totally get it. At the same time, though, man, I wish they were doing the conference one, like the one conference, one conference type setup. Because that would be, it would probably be the best case for everybody. Because in this situation, if that were the case, you'd have those three teams from the West Division make it. And the other team that would be in would be Schomburg. So you'd genuinely have the four best on that half of the league. And then on the flip side, things would actually be very interesting if uh, they were going with that same setup for the Atlantic and the and the Northeast Division. Because right now, the four teams would be Sussex County, Washington, Tri-City, no problem with those three. And then you'd have New York by like two games over Equip Quebec. And then the Jackals just kind of doing their thing, 29 and 37. They'd be getting along. Yeah, it's a I, really I, th- I, th- I think I think it's uh, – I really just wish there was a there was some sort of – and again, I understand it. Uh, but I wish there was like some sort of way you could work in like a wild card or something, because the the fact a uh, a team in Evansville and Florence who have the two best records, the two best records in the Frontier League by quite a bit, one's got to miss the playoffs, yeah, and that 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 sucks. That like that sucks. that's the thing. Like I wish there was a playing game. If there was one playing game, I would, you know, I I can again I I'm agree with you. I understand entirely why there can't be. And to work out the math on teams to make that even a possibility would be really tough. Plus, you factor in the travel expense and everything. I, I totally get it. It still doesn't make it any less disappointing. In any case, let's talk about some trades. Because you would have thought it was Wall Street with the amount of trades we had this past week. We had seven in about a week-long period in the Frontier League. So we're going to run through some of them, talk about how they affect playoff uh, implications here. And hopefully we'll incorporate that into a general discussion on the Frontier League here. So we're just going to go kind of in the order that they were listed on the Frontier League website. I will say there is one that happened in the middle of all these trades. It's not listed as a trade for the Frontier League site, but it is listed on the American Association site. Uh, It's pretty inconsequential. I'll get to that one first to get it out of the way. Kansas City Monarchs receive a player to be named later in exchange for Ramsey Romano to the Sussex County Myers. So the Myers trade a player to be named later and get Ramsey Romano in return. Uh, Romano currently uh, slashing 118 to 11, 118 with no home runs. Uh, pretty inconsequential trade, I'm thinking. Uh, the player to be named later, like, I gotta be real, if you're trading that, it's essentially like trading a late round draft pick. You don't really expect much from it. If it turns into something, great. If it turns into nothing, fine. Who really cares? Uh, Romano, I think fair to say, not having a good year. And he has played better in the Frontier League in the past with Washington. 
I don't know if this is going to cure Sussex County's ills. We mentioned just a moment ago, eight-game losing streak. Not doing very good right now. I don't think he's going to make that big of an impact on this team, but something better than nothing, I guess. Yeah, I mean, how I view it is, I think it's just... I think it's just middle infield depth, um, more of a backup for them down the stretch to really give them some more middle infield depth. I, I don't, I don't really think there's, uh, there's much more than that at, at stake. I, I wouldn't overthink it. Yeah, that, I, I'd agree with that. Uh, next trade up, we have Evansville. They received Joe Riley, a six and eighteen ERA, and about sixty innings pitched. Half of those are games started. Fifteen games, nine of them started. 43 strikeouts, 23 walks on the year. They exchange uh, a player to be named Blair with Sioux City to acquire him. So, again, player to be named Blair is, again, whatever. Uh, Joe Riley, not great, not god-awful either in the American Association. Goes to Evansville, just adds extra depth to their pitching staff that already is a very deep pitching staff. I don't dislike this move at all. I don't see any problem with adding extra pitching depth that can never really be a bad thing so uh it'll be very interesting to see how he works out here i gotta imagine he's gonna kind of be almost like a double header starter is how i call him you you when you don't want to use one of your real rotation arms you throw this guy in uh he seems like a solid asset and who knows maybe if someone struggles in what's already a great rotation uh for the otters maybe he gets in there yeah, I'm looking at him as more of like a swing, as like a swing man and a guy to eat innings out of the bullpen. I think that's probably how uh, Riley's going to be used. And Sioux City, I guess he, he definitely really did struggle uh, in Sioux City. But Evansville's already so deep. I think it's more of just like to eat innings and be a swing man, make a start, make a start or two if needed. I think that's probably what they were thinking. Uh, in, in this deal, and again, it's it's a player to be named later. So it, it it's just we want him, and Sioux City's well says, well, he hasn't been good for us, so here you go. Exactly. Uh, now this is really the fun trade here because it's not an official three team trade, but it seems an awful lot like one. It starts with Schomburg acquiring Turner Larkins from Tri-City to complete a previous deal. So I guess Turner was the player to be named later in a deal they made earlier in the year. I want to say that's the Willie Garcia trade, which honestly isn't, you know, a great trade for Schomburg, just to be outright. Uh, you traded a dude that was doing really well uh, for a guy that has not done well. Turner's had a 627 ERA in 33 innings, 7 starts, 10 games, 25 strikeouts, 18 walks. Not exactly impressive numbers. That said... He then immediately gets flipped to Joliet, along with two players to be named later. So that's a big one right there. And in exchange, Schomburg gets Braxton Davidson, one of the guys that we talked about last week in the preview that we said he's really like the lone source of offense in Schomburg. He's batting, or not in Schomburg, in Joliet at the time now of Schomburg. Uh, he's batting 240. 385, 480 with 12 home runs. So a solid power hitter is pretty much the best way to describe him. Definitely adds a bat that that team needs. They deal Larkins, who quite frankly, I don't know where he'd fit in in Schaumburg. That has an amazing rotation, really. And I think this is kind of a mutually beneficial type deal here. Because there's another element to this deal. 
Logan Doobie goes to Tri-City. Joliet gets Carson Maxwell in return. Maxwell not exactly doing great this year. 1235, 298, 453 with 11 home runs. Doobie a 444 ERA with in 47 innings. All games started. Uh, 47 strikeouts, 10 walks for him. I think this kind of try deal here, this Tri-City trade, if you want to call it, I think it helps everybody out. Schomburg gets a bat they need. Joliet gets a pitcher that hasn't done well, but to be fair, has had to play against a lot of really strong offenses this year. And now an offense that used to be their kind of breathing space in Quebec just became the offense that's going to be the most tough, the most difficult they're going to predictably face because Schomburg's now the best offense Turner's going to have to go up against. And they're not a very good offensive team. They're a pretty average team when it comes to that. And they're going to get a lot of poor offensive teams on the schedule still. So I think he could definitely turn it around and help Joliet for whatever help he can really provide to that team at this point in the year. Uh, but that helps on that front. Obviously, the help for, for Schomburg is the bat. Joliet kind of replaces him with Carson Maxwell. So it's kind of a net neutral there. And Logan Doobie, you know, bullpen help always helps. You know, there's no situation where having an extra arm, especially one that seems pretty decent, doesn't help you. Obviously, he's more of a starter, so maybe he works into the rotation here, possibly because Josh Hyatt's still not back and may still be out for a little bit longer, so he kind of is a replacement for him there. But all in all, I do like the trade from every perspective. It does make sense. A lot to unpack here. Uh, but, of course, I think the big move here was, uh, was Schomburg. Picking up Braxton Davidson. Braxton Davidson has had a great year uh, offensively in Joliet. And I think he really just gives a power hitter that Schomburg needs. Of course, Schomburg, uh, although uh, they've had a good season, not a great one. Although they've they've been the beneficiaries of a, a not-so-great central division. I mean, Schomburg's only 36 and 32. So with their, with their division lead pretty safe. I think it then turns into Schaumburg now thinking, all right, a playoff spot wrapped up. Now, how are we going to make a run in these playoffs? And of course, the answer to be whoever comes out of the West, either Evansville or Florence, you're going to need a big bat. And I think that's what Braxton Davidson provides for them. He has a lot of power, uh, first baseman, swings left-handed. There's a lot, there's, there's a lot to like about him. Um, and that's offense is definitely what Schomburg needed, uh, really to make an impact in, in this playoff series. I know when we went over, uh, when we went over playoff, uh, scenarios in our Frontier League recap to this point, uh, we kind of, in, in a way, brushed off Schomburg saying, well, uh, whoever wins the West, I'll just head, I'll just head on to the finals. I mean, they don't have a ton of power outside of Neoport. They definitely needed a guy like uh, like Braxton Davidson, and I think that's going to really, really help this team. Of course, there's many other perspectives. I agree about uh, Logan Doobie with Joliet. I think you will see him get some starts uh, for them to, to help shore up depth in that aspect, uh, but I think the, the, big, the big news here is certainly Braxton Davidson uh, he- heading to Schaumburg. I think that's a really good fit, and I think that really helps them in a potential playoff series West Division teams. Yeah, I think it definitely does, too. It's something they definitely needed to add on there. All in all, I like I said, I think it's a pretty straightforward trade for everybody. 
I think everybody got what they needed out of it, and it's uh, going to be interesting to see how that affects a lot of the playoff races, or more more so playoff series at this point, I suppose. So, uh, we'll go from trades that I understand entirely to a trade that there's only two left, but this is the one I just don't understand at all. Windy City acquires a player to be named later in exchange for Jake Fisher, who goes to Southern Illinois. Jake Fisher uh, is a 6-11 ERA, 56 innings, 12 games, 11 starts, uh, 57 strikeouts, 11 walks in his uh, season so far. I want to point out he's only had six bullpen appearances in his career. He is a starter. He is not a bullpen guy. He is seldom ever thrown out of the bullpen. He just, he's a starter. Southern Illinois has arguably the best starting rotation in the Frontier League. I don't understand why you'd acquire Jake Fisher. when I mean, they're using him out of the bullpen. Yeah, that's the thing I don't get. Like, Because where are they going to put him in, in the rotation? Like, Westcott's been very good. Kynes has been coming around. Austin's been the worst of them, but he still has like a 426 ERA, so considerably better than Fisher. There is uh, Schmidt and Johnson as well, and Cunningham. All those guys are very, very solid pitchers. All great in the rotation. I don't, I don't see where Jake Fisher fits in in this rotation. And if he's not going to be using the rotation, then why are you using him out of the bullpen when he's really never been used as a bullpen art? Like you know, I, I, th- I think that's I think that's the thinking. It's just like maybe there's some value in him as a left-handed reliever. Of course, so far he's thrown two and two-thirds innings and allowed three earned runs. So I guess that really hasn't worked uh, so far. But I, I think just at just seeing if you could add a a guy who can be a good left-handed a decent left-handed reliever out of the bullpen is valuable in that sense. But I, I agree. I don't. He's definitely a starting pitcher. He's had a lot of success uh, in previous years. Granted, not since back in 2017, really. I mean, he was with the Long Island Ducks uh, for the last couple of years. But, I mean, I think they're just hoping they can get essentially a free lottery ticket for a left-handed reliever, which I guess is valuable in that sense. But definitely, I I don't think he fits into their starting rotation at all. Yeah, because there's there's no way he can. He's not anywhere near... As good of a uh, a pitcher as the rest of the rotation. I feel like there was better options available. If you wanted to go with a a reliever. You, you mean to tell me you couldn't find someone else looking to get rid of the dude? Or get rid of a dude in the bullpen? Like, we're going to talk about that. how Equip Quebec picked up Brett Clark from West Virginia in just a second here. But, like, I would have rather rolled the dice on him. Like, granted, I don't think he's a lefty. But even still, like, I... I just don't quite agree with the thinking that a guy that's been a starter for like the past 10 seasons is just going to magically turn into a good reliever now. Or even like I do that's good at eating innings. I, I just don't, I don't see that. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think it's likely, but that had to be the thinking because there's just no way they're going to throw him into the rotation with as strong of a rotation as Southern Illinois has. Yeah, that, that's got to be it. So I guess we'll go to the last trade here. Uh, like I just said, uh, Quebec picks up Brett Clark from West Virginia for a player to be named later. Clark on the season in about 24 and a third innings, uh, 11 games, four starts. He is an 814 ERA, so not exactly lighting the world on fire by any means. 
and he has struck out 21 and walked 25. So not exactly a great strikeout walk ratio there, but I mean, perhaps it could be good. It's a, I don't want to say a lower quality of competition, but at the same time, they're not as polished professional ball players in the Frontier League as the Atlantic League. The rules are also a factor in that too. So perhaps it could work out better. Again, he could be a swingman, but he's more of a bullpen arm. I don't hate the move. I'm curious to see how he's used and how effective he will be, but it's a pretty neutral deal to me. It seems like the pitching version of Ramsey Romano. Yeah, I think that it was essentially West Virginia saying, hey, we're probably going to cut this guy. Uh, and Quebec saying, oh, you could just you could just trade him to us for a player to be named later. And listen, I, I, I would take Atlantic League uh, I would take Atlantic League stats with a grain of salt uh, for obvious reasons. Um, you know, the 25 walks to 21 strikeouts yeah. obviously does not look uh, very good at all. Uh, but however, I mean, you look at his track record, West Virginia was his first professional uh, experience at all. He came out of Stony Brook. Um, last pitch at Stony Brook in 2019 was a starter for them, was okay. Uh mm-hmm with Stony Brook didn't really miss a whole lot of bats. Uh, but I would say he's probably a reliever uh, w- with Quebec. Uh, not sure uh, like how hard he throws or his repertoire or anything, but I mean, you look at how he's done so far in Quebec, he's being used as a reliever. Two appearances, only only gone an inning in two thirds. He's given up seven hits and three runs. So n- not, not ideal, but I think that, that they're essentially just taking a lottery ticket, uh, and if he turns out well, again, he's just 24, You could, one of the Canadian teams next year when the league goes back to full strength, you could certainly just bring him back, uh, but I, I do think that at least, for, at least for this year, they're just kind of rolling the dice, and I guess he would be considered a rookie? Probably. I, yeah. I mean, I, I think he'd be just considered a rookie, so... Uh, I guess if if you need rookie slots, I guess no harm, no foul, not a ton of risk, and you just see what he turns into. Yeah, I, I suppose that's a a good way of looking at it. Like I said, I, I it's a pretty inconsequential move in my view. If he turns out good, he turns out good. If he doesn't, he literally gave up as close to nothing as he can. And he is a he's also as a rookie one an R one. So yeah, he's certainly good there. And holy gotcha. hell, their whole pitching staff is like R ones. With the exception of one, two, three guys on Quebec. Yeah, the Olympics kind of cleaned them out. Yeah. Which hopefully now that could turn around on them. On that note, let's just kind of look quickly at the rest of the Frontier League before we move on. Uh, Notes and news from around the league here, I guess, is how to look at it. Teams of note, the Jackals seem to be falling really kind of, I don't want to say out of contention here, but they're seven and a half back at the minors. You have Washington that's caught fire as of late, a minor team that's like in a nosedive at the current moment. And that whole division that seemed to be pretty wrapped up earlier has now kind of been flipped on its head a bit and certainly makes things a lot more interesting. And called that one. Yeah, that one is it's not, it's not going great, although, yeah, I did. I did mention a thing about Washington could do well, but I've got to, in all honesty, I didn't expect them to do well. I This was kind of like, oh, let me stir the pot a bit. It's turned into a reality. 
You're you're a humble man, Nick Firestone. You don't want to take credit for something you saw coming. I don't think I can ever honestly say I've been called humble, but okay, we'll go with it. Yeah. <laughs> True. But that's, that's a first. Yeah, there's always a first for everything. But yeah, no, this is a this is an interesting thing because like the miners are a better team than this. They just are. But there is a certain lack of I don't want to say try, because that's not right. There's a lack of jump, and I don't know why that is. It's like your lead's getting whittled down here, and there's no reason to not be jumping. Like, Chuck Taylor's been doing great. Jackie Urbanis has been doing well, and Juan Kelly has been doing well. Outside of that, no one else on the batting side is really doing well. There really just isn't. Like, you could point to a couple of guys. You could say, like... uh like, Johnson's been doing well because he hit a home run, but he's batting under 200. Figueroa's batting 200. Ramsey Romano, who just got here, is batting 200. Siriaco's not doing well. Most of this team is under 250 batting-wise. I mean, hell, when you're batting 250 as a team, 243 as a team, I mistake. That's never good. And then as a pitching staff, when your ERA is just really a, a hair under six with... No real starter doing well. I mean, you could point to Herman, but he threw one inning, so I hardly count one inning as a start. Um, it's just not going well. Like, you got guys that are getting very much lit up, and dudes that were doing well on the bullpen just, they're getting tagged for runs. I mean, it's just, it's just not good. Like, yeah, it's just, it's just a really bad stretch for them. Right now, but listen, the talent is still there. You would think they turn it around, but it's not like their schedule gets easier. That's the thing. So uh, I don't. It's easy to say they got some games coming up that they can get back on track. Not to say they can't, but they are playing some some very good teams. I mean, this weekend they're heading back to Tri City. Uh, it was a hot team. Then they get to then they get to take on Florence at home, and then take on a red hot New York Boulders team at home. So. The, the, it's a it's a big stretch coming up for them, and certainly not one that that's going to be a very easy one. Certainly no real cupcakes in there uh, for them to just get some easy wins and get back on track. They're going to have to earn these, and they've they've put themselves in this situation. Uh, but they're trying to fend off a, a, a Washington team that is playing really good baseball, and uh, and it, it, it we'll, we'll see what this team's made of this weekend. Uh, heading back to Tri City, uh, the team that swept them last time. We'll see. We'll see what happens when they when they when they duke it out this weekend. But it, it is a huge. It, it's time for Sussex County to turn it around, or they're in big big trouble. And I mean, if, can you imagine if this team misses the playoffs? Oh. Like out of all the out of all the expectations this team had coming into the year, them missing the playoffs would be would be really just a disaster in their first year in the in the frontier league it, it honestly would be and it'd be their first playoff miss and i want to say since because they made it in they made it obviously in 19 and 18 they made it in 70 i don't think they've missed since 2015 or 2016 so it it'd be a very very big drop off there like you said everyone was predicting them to not just make the postseason but to make the finals to be a championship contender and to then not get there is, is certainly a, a huge disappointment. But they're, they don't even like have any help 
from the Washington schedule. Washington has three against Florence, but I mean, it's kind of a wash given that they play Florence later in the week. And then there's six games against Lake Erie for Washington. Those are very winnable games for Washington. Even if you want to look at the rest of the Washington schedule, they go Tri-City then to equip Quebec, to New York, to Sussex County, to New Jersey, to Tri-City. There's not a lot of difficult games left on that Washington schedule, if we're being entirely honest. And conversely, you want to look at the rest of the minor schedule. Okay, well, their, their road does not get exactly any easier. Play, obviously, Tri-City, then Florence, like we just mentioned, then New York. They do have New Jersey, but New Jersey always plays them hard. Then back to Tri-City, Quebec again, Washington, Tri-City again. So a lot of games against Tri-City here, which clearly has been difficult. And then a series against Quebec to end the year. It's really only the Quebec games that I really can see them having a definitive upper hand and perhaps the Jackal games as well. But even that's so-so. I don't know what to say here. It's just they need to start winning games now. And I don't want to be hyperbolic by saying, oh, if they don't have a winning week, they're they're done. Because I don't think that's entirely fair. Because, I mean, we saw how much one bad week can really put you up the creek. But I do think if they don't win at least one of these next three series, they're in a very, very bad position. I think that's a good way to put it. But the talent is here on this team still. Uh, they can certainly they can certainly turn it around, but it's got to start now. I mean, they I mean they've lost eight in a row, so yeah. that seems like a, that seems like a pretty obvious statement. But Washington is is really trailing. They're coming in hard, and it, so it's gut check time for Sussex County. That's for sure. Exactly, it, it, three and seven isn't enough over their next ten. They need to be more like five and five at the bare minimum in my mind. Uh, but like you said, they have the talent to do it. Elsewhere, uh, everyone else seems to be pretty much doing what you expect. They're about 500. Um, I will say Tri-City and New York, like we said earlier in the show, they've both been equally as hot. And I'm really kind of wanting New York to take it from Tri-City, although I wouldn't be disappointed with Tri-City uh, getting into the postseason. Each are interesting. Hernandez has really been a, a very good player as a reason. He just got up. He's got up to 20 home runs on the season now. Two home runs in, his, in the, over the past week. Very solid here. As a team, they're not batting much better than Sussex County, surprisingly. But they have, I think, more of an even distribution of uh, offense. They have four guys really at the top as opposed to like two or three. But the pitching is really where it's kind of stepped in, where it's made a difference. A team ERA of 374 is always solid. Um, realistically, with the exception of about eh, two guys, everybody else has been pretty solid here. Like Alexander and Roland weren't the best. But outside of that, like Josephine has pitched well. Smith's pitched well. Munis has pitched well. James Mulry pitched very well. Warshemsky's gotten back to, or Warshawski's gotten back to where we saw him earlier in the year. Uh, Mac, Burt, and Schneider have all been extremely good. So, you know, they, they're doing what they can. And a team that I've pretty much just said all year, they're about a 416 winning percentage team, have gotten over 500. They have done very well. And they look like they could cause problems for Tri City. For sure, they're playing really good baseball as of now, and it really comes down to how they've pitched lately. I mean, a 374 ERA over the past over the past week 
and, and you mentioned the starting rotation has been good. The bullpen has been good. Uh, and it, it's really been a game changer for this team who, who I guess, over the course of the summer has it's kind of struggled pitching-wise. So that's been a big development for them. I mean, unfortunately for the Boulders, though, uh, their hot streak, they've won four in a row, eight out of their last ten, has come at the same time as Tri-City has continued to play well. So they haven't really been able to gain a ton of ground. Uh, so th- it's a tough break for them. But if they can keep playing like this, they could really challenge Tri-City for a playoff spot, uh, and, and that would make it a very exciting race in the Atlantic division between the two New York teams down the stretch. Yep, absolutely there. Uh, only thing else I want to just quickly say on the Frontier League before we move to the Atlantic League, good on Windy City for being 7-3 and three in their last 10. Just Sh- Shout out Windy City. Yeah, just good on them. Like That's just kind of surprising at this point in the year, so good for them. So They're not mailing it in. We like that. Exactly. They, they're fighting to the end. Uh, anything else you want to say in the Frontier League before we move on? Uh, I don't. I don't think so. I think just I'm very, very interested to look at Sussex County once again next week, though. Oh, absolutely. They're going to be a topic of conversation going forward. Um, yeah. on to the Atlantic League, North Division. Uh, pretty much grouped together. There's not much to really say. Obviously, it's, they've only played about a week's worth of games so far over there, so it's hard to say much on the second half. Uh, Lancaster or Lancaster is leading the way. Uh, in the North Division, but again, four and three is, you know, not really like lighting the world on fire. They were half game up on Long Island and like a game and a half up on Southern Maryland. I mean, even York's only two games back at two and five, so it's not exactly like much is going on there. Honestly, I don't think there's anything of note in the North Division. The South Division, though, has kind of been literally flipped on its head. You got High Point and last at three and five, Lexington and that's 500. Four and four. And then you have Gastonia and West Virginia that have been playing very good baseball. Six and two and five and three for West Virginia and Gastonia. I, maybe the mounds help them. Maybe it's that, uh, they're just playing better. I, I don't know what to make of that. I mean, it's very interesting that the, uh, that two teams who, uh, Two teams who have really, uh, who really struggled in that first half are, are playing much, much better baseball to start the second half. I, I think a big, one big thing just on, on West Virginia first, David Kubiak returning from, returning from injury is a big deal for them. Yeah. Uh, in a team that has struggled a ton pitching wise, uh, the fact that they were able to get, um, David Kubiak back, uh, that's been a big deal. That, that's a big deal for them. For sure, um, and of course, you look at his start last night in Gastonia. Um, he, he threw seven strong innings, only gave up five hits, three earned runs, uh, struck out five as well. So, uh, and their bullpen has been very, very good over the, the specifically the back end of that bullpen. You even look at a guy like Mike Broadway, uh, who's in the ERA of one point one point two three now. I guess you could call him a de facto closer of late. I think that their bullpen has improved, and West Virginia's pitching in general has improved. They've hit pretty well. Uh, they've hit pretty well lately, and they're pretty top-heavy in that sense. Uh, but I think the the big difference is they're starting to get guys, some guys back who are out. Uh, for example, David Kubiak, like I mentioned, it's very early on still uh, in the second half. But at least in the second half, they've pitched really well. 
and uh, and and that's helped them out to a six and two start. Will it stay? You know, I, I guess that's that's something we'll have to find out. I mean, Lexington's playing. Uh, they're playing 500 baseball at the moment at four and four high point at three and five. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see if it sticks, but certainly uh, that that's the beauty of the first half, second half system, right? Nick, I, I think it's, yeah. uh, it's, you can have the worst record in the league, like West Virginia had in the first half and the slate gets completely wiped clean going into the second half. And you get a chance, a brand new season, to go ahead and, and, and make your mark and go potentially make a playoffs, to go make the playoffs. So it'd be really funny after all that. We're talking about how we think um, West Virginia could make the playoffs. They have the worst record in the league in the first half. And what if they make the playoffs in the second half? That'd be, that would be that would definitely be something. So yeah. uh, they're off to a great start, and we'll, we'll see if they can keep it up. Yeah, personally, I, that's the exact reason why I don't like that first second half system. Because as I do like some of these uh, history of series, as I put them up, I go through all these years and I see teams that were like, overall, they're 50 and 100, but they made the postseason. But yeah, you have a team that's like 75 and 75 and they missed out. And it's just like, what? how is this fair? So like, I, I personally don't like it, but it does make things a lot more interesting, I will say. Uh, but yeah, I, I don't know what's up with all these teams to be quite honest. So as far as Gastonia, yeah, uh, it's early. It's obviously the part of it, but Gastonia too has looked better. And I want to know what's up with Gastonia as to why they look better. So as far as Gastonia, they've actually added some pretty good pieces recently. For example, Uh they just, they just signed Ryan Cordell, uh, and, uh, Ryan Cordell, uh, I actually watched him play or earlier this year in Lehigh Valley in AAA, and he was a good hitter for them. Uh, he, he was a really good hitter for them. I even saw him homer, I believe. So I think they continue to add pieces on the offensive side of the ball, and they're winning games. Uh, they're winning a lot of games in that uh, really out trying to outscore teams, which I guess in this league isn't really that crazy of a strategy. Is, is, yeah, it's not that bad of a strategy at all. Uh, but yeah, like in Lehigh Valley, he hit 12 home runs, not for a very high average, but did hit for some power. Uh, Gastonia could definitely use some more power. I mean, not that they necessarily need more of it. They have, they have, they have a lot of power to begin with. Uh, but their pitching has gotten a little bit better. Uh, it's still not good, but, um, it's certainly, certainly gotten better. They, they just continue to, um, they continue to make moves in their lineup that have really that have helped them out a lot. For example, Josh Sala uh, is we we've known he's he can hit for power, but he's starting to hit for a higher average. His average up to two sixty two. That's helping out. Uh, that's helping out this group a lot as well. So I think Gastonia is always going to be offensively driven, uh, and they they're continuing to hit the baseball well now, and that's what's what's caused this good start. Now, can the pitching hold up? didn't really in the first half it we'll see in the second half but i think lexington and high point uh you would think they start uh to wake up here pretty soon in the second half i mean uh, there's a couple big matchups i mean for example west virginia's got to go to high point but i mean high point's kind of been a disappointment this year so we'll have to see gastonia certainly a winnable series at home against york so so you could see gastonia in first place by the end of the weekend i think 
Yeah, I definitely think that's like a possibility, but it's a it's an interesting uh, situation to be in at this point. But very, but yeah, uh, I think uh, there's not terribly much else to talk about in the Atlantic League being that it's just so early on in the second half. And yeah. so uh, with that, we'll go to the American Association, where again there's there's a little bit to talk about, not terribly much. Uh, a couple of teams worth pointing out, I suppose. The North Division, I think, is fairly safe to say. Is pretty wrapped up. I think it's Milwaukee, Chicago, and Fargo Moorhead. I don't think there's too much uh, arguing about that. Seeing as Fargo Moorhead's what about six and a half up on Winnipeg. Yeah, I think it's done. Yeah, which I do want to just finish up talking about the North Division here because I think it's really at this point Chicago's on a seven-game winning streak. They're seven and three. Milwaukee three-game losing streak. They're three and seven. They're equal records all the way through. So that's figuring out who's going to get a bye, who's going to be hosting a, a game, and even. Fargo Moorhead's only a game and a half back of putting themselves right in that we're going to be hitting a buy range. So that's just figuring out seating. Uh, we'll get more clarity on that in about a week or so. So we'll come back to that discussion then. But the Winnipeg discussion I do want to have here, because we were talking about this last week, about how they could have an advantage playing at home and having certain teams not being able to bring a lot of their players. Milwaukee had that problem. Uh, Sioux City was only able to take about one or two guys, or only one or two guys made the trip. And essentially, they had a brand new roster up there, uh, and they took all six games at home. They've since went on the road. They lost both games to Chicago, although granted, I think that's less of any sort of roster changes they had to make to become compliant, and more of they played the, what, second best or third best team in the American Association. I think that's more what that had to do with. So... I'm not sure if the jury's still out here as to whether or not going back to Winnipeg helped them or not. Although I will say, when you look through some of the players released, like Jay Gonzalez is a big release, and I suppose you could argue Bud Norris is another guy that was a victim of that. But outside of that, I don't really see all too many guys that are, you know, you miss on this team. A lot of guys were, you know, five-plus ERAs. Like, for starters, I guess it's fine, but... For bullpen guys that threw 25, 30 innings, I mean, at this point, you know what they are. So, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't, I still don't know if it helped them or not. Yeah, I, I think the sample is probably a little too small to really determine it at the moment. Uh, but I, I think that you're right in the sense that a lot of the guys that ended up having to be casualties uh, of the move back to Canada. Not you're not looking at a ton of a, a, like a lot of core pieces, uh, which I, I guess helps Winnipeg in that sense. It could kind of reshape their roster a little bit. I mean, they have a winning record now, so yeah. I think that uh, that that's certainly uh, a development for them. That they they were definitely struggling for a lot of the season. Not to say that they're going to be in the playoffs because they're they're probably not. Uh, but I think it's probably still too early to really tell. Whether going home is like a huge, huge advantage uh, for them, but uh, since you know they they do make some roster changes themselves a little bit, but I, I think that uh, I don't I don't think it's a huge advantage. I mean, playing at home is always an advantage, uh, certainly, but I, I think that it's I would say it's a it's a slight advantage, but not. Uh, not a huge advantage from what we've seen so far. 
Yeah, I, I will say, I don't think they would have beat a team like Milwaukee if Milwaukee was able to bring up their full slate of guys. Uh, but that said, uh, I do agree. I think the sample size is a bit smaller. I think it's the kind of thing that we'll talk about more when their season's over and we get the full, like, roughly 20 games slate, I believe it was, and they have 13 home games left. And on top of the six that they already played, it would be about 20. I think when we have that, then we'll be able to say, okay, yes or no, but it is something of interest. Uh, going to the South Division, though, that's a much more Wild West division, and it's a lot more interesting. See, you know the Apollos are out. Two-game winning streaks are good for them, although they're 40 games out. I think we can safely, mathematically eliminate them from contention. Yeah, I agree. I, yeah. We, we, we can eliminate them. Okay, very good there. Uh, as far as the Canaries go, I think they're technically still alive, but the tragic number is low. Uh, I think it's only like five or something because there's about 23 or so games left to play in the season over there. And they are 24 and a half back. So they can't win the division, but they still technically could make the playoffs. Now, it's not going to happen, but they could. So they have that. Mm, Mathematics. Yeah, they're out of it in every sense except for uh, technical. But then we start getting interesting. You see, you have Sioux City that's completely fallen apart, one in nine of their last ten. They have fallen to nearly 500 after leading this division for quite some time and then being in a postseason spot for even longer. Then you have Cleburne, who's now jockeying with Lincoln. We're at uh, 42 and 35 and 41 and 35. They're both going back and forth. Cleburne's finally gotten off their losing snide. So they're three and seven now, but Lincoln's seven and three. So they're doing well. They're in position now to host that playing game. And then you have the Monarchs that are on a whole nother level because they're 53 and 25. Could very well finish with a winning percentage of 700 or better. They're eight and two in their last 10. And they seemingly never lose, which is just amazing. And they have like 22 games left and they could go 500 and still just skate into the playoffs. Yeah. I mean, the Monarchs, uh, the Monarchs are insanely, insanely good. I mean, 53 and 25 really speaks for itself. Uh, they've, they've locked up this division. I mean, really over the last couple of weeks, they've really just completely separated themselves from the rest of the pack they're they're going to be I mean, you would think they have an advantage in any playoff series but i mean for the for the other three teams i mean you have lincoln and you you have two of the teams are going to make it out of lincoln cleburne and sioux city uh sioux city are two games back of cleburne uh for a play-in spot i mean Sioux City and Sioux City is just not playing good baseball like at all right now. They've it's been really been quite the fall for them from where they were in the beginning of the season. But they they still have they they have a very real chance to to still make a play in game. And I think that's this is going to be the race that's going to be really fun down the stretch between Lincoln, Cleburne, and Sioux City to see who which two teams are going to end up playing in that playing game because you could you could make a case for all of them, um, but of course and then you see who wins the playing game and then they probably lose to Kansas City. But <laughs> uh, it, it'll certainly be uh, uh, quite the race down the stretch between between those three teams in the South. Yeah, that's the thing. The Kansas City is just there's no team as dominant in their respective league as Kansas City is this year, so you just kind of chalk them into the postseason hell 
I'm willing to even go as far as say is they should win the the league championship this year. There, there really is nothing stopping them. Although there are a few teams in the North that are very interesting and would be a very fun playoff series. But regardless, the playing game, you're right, Will, is the real fun thing in the South. There really is no team that's out of it. And right now, you wouldn't be surprised to see Sioux City hosting a playing game of Lincoln or Cleburne. I do think there's something to be said about ha hot teams, the one you got to favor going into the end of the year. And Lincoln is a hot team, Sioux City isn't, and I think that has a major factor there. Uh, I, I also think Sioux City just hasn't been the same since they lost uh, Weaver. When they lost him earlier in the year, you knew it was going to be tough to replace him because he was a very, very, very productive bat for them. But as of recent, it's become even more straightforward. And obviously, they don't have uh, much going in the way of offense. I mean, they're batting 219 in their last, over the last week. Curran and Zawada are really pulling a lot of the weight here. Tolbert's doing fine, but everyone else is 250 or worse. And that's just not sustainable. You can't have three guys providing your entirety of offense. It's just not going to work, especially when one of them isn't Jose Sermo, who's batting under 100. Like, you need to have him going as well to really have a shot at winning these games. And then pitching-wise, hasn't been any better. At least if when your offense struggles, you could say, all right, well, our pitching will keep us in games. Their pitching is not keeping them in any games. Like, Hedges is doing fine. He's doing well, actually. Smith's doing good. And then from there, you have Quintana, who's at a 450 year rate, and everyone else is just underneath it as a team. An ERA of nearly 8, I mean 760, is the overall ERA. So, I mean, it's been rough. It's been really rough when you only have one starter that's producing and really, like, two other guys that are bullpens and one swing guy. It's yeah, not I a recipe. Think, I mean, you look, you look at their last game against Kansas City in that mm-hmm. Kansas City series. Kansas City won 16 to 3, which that doesn't show you where those two teams are uh, right now. I don't know what will, but the good news is, is, is all that is definitely true. Sioux City has a home series against Cleburne this weekend. That's a yeah. big opportunity for them. Oh, that's, yeah. a, that's a big opportunity for a team like Sioux City. They're only two games back. They could throw all this out the window. They're only two games out of a playoff spot right now. They can take two out of three. From Cleburne, they're right back in it. They're, they're right back in it if they can get off the schneid. But on the flip side, Cleburne could could roll in there and potentially sweep them. And then at that point, uh, then you're probably saying, well, Sioux City's probably out at this point. So a really, really, despite all that's happened, uh, Sioux City still has a chance and a very, very big series uh, against Cleburne at home this weekend. Yeah, there's only a couple things that would keep them afloat if they were to be swept. One of them is after they go through Kansas City, which I mean that you chalk that up to what it's going to be. Uh, but you do have Cleburne again. Then you have three against the Apollos, three against Sioux Falls, three against Fargo Moorhead. Not great. But then you have four against Sioux Falls at the end of the year. So you have seven against Sioux Falls and three against Houston. Those are 10 games that are very, very winnable games for them. So that definitely helps them out a lot. When you look at the Cleburne, though, I don't think their schedule gets much easier, to be quite honest here. They just came off a Sioux Falls series, which, to be quite honest, was a lot closer than it really had any business being. Cleburne does have a couple of very long homestands left, which is definitely a plus for them. But they have Milwaukee. They have Sioux City, obviously, a couple times. They have a lot against Lincoln. 
but they also have four games against Houston and then four against Kansas City close out. So those games are kind of washes in my mind. I'd say that they have a bit more difficult of a climb uh, of the teams that are remaining. Lincoln, meanwhile, if you want to look at their schedule and how that could shape up, uh, they, oh wow, they finish from August 26th to the end of the year. They only play home games. That's a very nice, that's a very that's, nice home stat. That's big time. Actually, according to the point streak schedule, they only have three games left on the road this year. They go to Chicago wow. once from the 23rd to the 25th. I'll say well, that that's the, favorable. Oh, yeah. No, all of a sudden, I'm really liking Lincoln to uh, to host this playing game an awful lot because they have yeah. a series against Gary Shop, South Shore that starts today. Then Chicago, not exactly easy there, Grant. You, they have six games left against Chicago, it looks like. Three against Sioux Falls, four against Cleburne, three against Milwaukee, and then they end the year playing Houston. Oh, that's huge. That's that's really huge. Like, yeah, granted, they, that's big time. they probably have the most difficult schedule left just because, you know, nine games against the two teams that are tied for second best in the league. And Cleburne's not going to be a cakewalk either, but... There's seven games that are very winnable, and most of these games are at home. So, yeah, that's I'd say Lincoln's the favorite to host the playing game. Yeah, yeah, honestly, Lincoln's probably. Yeah, you're right. Lincoln's probably the favorite at this point. Cleburne and Sioux City, though, are going to become very interesting to watch. Those series are going to be must watches, I think, just to see how they pan out. Agreed for sure. Yeah. So uh, with that, I think we talked this. Uh, pretty much to death here i do want to point out that it's next week that we also get a really fun series because i believe it's milwaukee goes to kansas city and that should be very fun to watch that should be a really good series but uh outside of that there's really else there's really nothing else to cover in indie ball this week we've talked about basically all of it so i guess we'll go to the plugs and then we'll get out of here uh, if you want to follow the show on social media, you can do so on Twitter at IndieBallPod and on Instagram at uh, ALPB underscore news for all your Atlantic League talk, as well as IndieBallReport.com or IndieBallReport on Instagram. IndieBallReport.com is where you find the show notes, all the episodes, um, articles, anything that we produce. It's on the website. Check it out. Uh, either way, so be sure to look at that. And then if you want to subscribe, rate, and review uh, the show, you can do so just about wherever you find podcasts. So tune in, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, uh, Amazon Music. Like I said, pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts, you can find the show. So be sure to do uh, all of those things. Uh, with that said, do you have anything else left to add? A uh, couple of quick things to add. Field of Dreams game, huge success. That was that was awesome between the Yankees and the White Sox. And even though it had a DH, which probably uh, made Nick very sad. It's a sin. The game, it, the game itself was very good. And even better that the Yankees suffered a heartbreaking loss. So it was awesome. Huge hit. Hope they do it again. Uh, that was that was a ton of fun. And, yep. you know, the Yankees suffered a heartbreaking loss. So, That's always a fun uh, thing. Always fun. And then, uh, the, and then the other quick thing, uh, you, as the show is released on Saturday... That means happy Chris Sale bump day. Chris oh. Sale's first start of the season, coming back from Tommy John. It is officially Sale day. Hope you all enjoy Chris Sale striking out a zillion guys against the Baltimore Orioles. Oh, I was playing Baltimore. Yeah, no, that's a pretty good return. 
team. Yeah. Uh, but a couple of things. One, I will say at that ninth inning was a real swing of emotions for me watching that. I was like, oh, Chicago's got this. And I was like, oh, shit, the Yankees are back in this. This just annoys the hell out of me. Mainly because, like, Yankee fans are annoying to me. Awfully annoying. Their team overall used to be a lot less hateable. But I really don't like Boone because he seems real smug. And I especially hate Brett Gardner. Especially for that box of savages bullshit that he was pulling a couple years ago. I really just don't like Brett Gardner. Because, again, he seems like a real smug ass. So, I always love watching him, you know, do poorly. Uh, So... Seeing the Yankees get walked off, it just, it warmed my heart. It really did. Uh, so that, that's first off. Second, like, last week I said, Rangers, get the Igor extension done. They did. Five, four years, 5.66. Honestly, like that deal a lot. I maybe would have went an extra year, but hey, I don't think it's a bad deal at all. He's a solid goaltender. You lock up your goaltender to the future, you just pay him. Takes until he's 29, you do. When that contract's over, that's a future Ranger problem. You cross that bridge when you get there. And now the main thing I wanted to add here, because I almost forgot to do this, and I came across this when I was redoing the website and switching over all the show notes into or all the episode descriptions into show notes and cleaning up the website so that way it loads quicker, which was a major pain in the ass. I just want to point that out. That took me like a solid five, six hours to do. So, major pain in the ass, but it was done. Now it works better. I came across the date where Will officially became a co-host. And that date was August the 13th, which is the day we are recording this. So, realistically, this is about the year anniversary episode-wise of when he became a co-host. So, I just want wow. to point that out. It's a it's a very fun thing. And uh, congratulations on making it a year. Thank you. I had no idea. Yeah. I, I knew it was in August. I just didn't know when about in August. And then, boom, this is when it officially switched over in the show notes to list you as a co-host. Wow. Yeah. That's, so, quite, that's something. I had no idea. Yeah. So we made, you made it to a year. Now can you survive year two? We shall see. That Year two is the tricky one. I'm the only one that's yeah. made it through year two. <laughs> hell, I may not even make it through year three. Who the hell knows? <laughs> Nick will never stop. I'm the only one that's not allowed to stop. Everybody else can leave when they want. True. <laughs> but, yeah, hell, if there's not... I'm the only one that's been here for every episode and bonus episode, to be quite honest. But then again, it'd be kind well, of odd if I wasn't. Have to. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm the only one with the recording equipment and that edits, even though, as people will probably notice in post if I don't do a good job, there's been some issues recording th- this week. A lot of stop and go in the beginning part of it, and then... Uh, it gets to be a pain in the ass sometimes. But I think we're I think we've reached the end of the line though. So as we end every show, don't forget to play ball. <laughs> <laughs>